You may know the context. The Apostle Paul, he writes this little letter to Timothy, to his mate Tim, from a dark, wet, cold, dingy, dungeon-like prison in Rome. He's awaiting his death, uh, death by execution for his connection to Jesus. Uh, And we might call this a a desperate situation. You or I might want to run, one of our friends at least, to run a sneaky rescue mission. But Paul's view of the world doesn't allow for desperation, at least in that sense. His concern is not so much for himself, but for the continued progress of the message of Jesus. And to that end, in some ways, it is a desperate situation. You noticed, as Nick's read, perhaps verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul said to Timothy, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. That bloke, one Zipphorus, we see in verse 16, who wasn't ashamed of Paul's chains, he is the minority. Gospel workers are fleeing due to persecution, ashamed of their connection to Jesus and his message, ashamed of their connection to Paul. It's such a sad situation, isn't it? And maybe we imagine today all the ministers of the churches, I'm out of here. Maybe that would be a good thing. I, I don't know. Paul has been abandoned And he encourages Timothy to not do a runner himself, but to carry on living for Jesus and making him known. And Paul gives some instructions in the first 13 verses of chapter 2 that must be really vital for Timothy, I reckon, and so for us all these years later. And there's just two points I want to make this afternoon. And the first is verse 1 to 7. This gospel ministry stuff, Christian service, it's not a walk in the park. And the second verse, 8 to 13, very simply, remember Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, uh, Phil reminded us from Philippians, if you were here, that the day that someone hands their life to Christ, they join in what we like to call gospel partnership. And that looks like a whole range of of different things. Uh, It involves money, as Phil was looking at the other week. It involves a a prayerful commitment to seeing others uh, find forgiveness and life in Jesus. It involves a, a willingness to speak about Jesus and live for him in a world that may be resistant to him. A desire to care for others like Jesus has cared for us, putting the interests of others above our own. It looks like all of life being reshaped by the reality of who we are in Christ. It's not easy. It wasn't easy for Timothy. Can you imagine this situation? Uh, His mates abandoning the gospel. People all around him. Paul, his great mentor, He's on death row. And he's being handed a really tricky leadership position. What does Timothy need to hear? This gospel ministry stuff, it's not a walk in the park. Now, if you're anything like me, you'll want to at times just tell people to harden up. 
uh, even to tell yourself that, you know, whatever particular area of life, just harden up, you know? Stop being soft. And if you're South African, you may actually say it. Grit your teeth and get on with it. Stop mucking around. I wonder if Paul wanted to say something similar to Timothy. But telling Timothy to harden up, be strong, grit your teeth, it wouldn't be enough. Uh, maybe, well, Timothy, Timothy's in his mid-30s, say, at the moment. Maybe he's reached the developmental stage where instead of flexing his muscles, so to speak, eager to test out his strength, eager to show his strength, uh, he's beginning to know his weaknesses. Either way, in this situation, no matter how gifted, no matter how talented, no matter how motivated... In and of himself, Timothy would not have the capacity to be strong. Verse 1 of chapter 2 is interesting then, isn't it? It reads, You then, my son, Timothy, be strong. Be strong. And if you're into grammar, be strong here is a present passive imperative. It's passive, which means Timothy is not the one doing the strengthening. Be strengthened, it could read. And it's present, so it's ongoing. Keep on being strengthened, it could be translated. Timothy isn't to be strong in and of himself. He's to be strong. How does the verse continue in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? And if you're someone who does trust in Jesus, you know it is by grace we have been saved, isn't it? We depend on God's grace for salvation. It's a work of God so that no one can boast, Ephesians, a classic memory verse. But thankfully, God doesn't just save us and tell us to go and get on with it. We depend on grace for service too. Saved by grace, but also trained by grace. On our own, we're weak. You're weak. I'm weak. Uh, Back in chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And he adds, by the power of God, the Holy Spirit who's at work in each one of us. If you're a believer, I wonder, do you ever ask for God's strengthening? Do you do it each day? God, I I recognise that in and of myself, I am inadequate for the tasks that you have set before me today. Help me as I get on and do. When we feel our inadequacy, well, that's when it's easiest to cry out for help, isn't it? But when we begin to develop competency, or when we become used to, familiar with a particular task, it can become harder to cry out for help. I remember anxiously crying out to God when our small groups were new. I knew my inadequacy and yours. It's God who makes his word real to people. It's God who gives us the desire and the ability to live for him and to serve him. So I cried out for help. But as I've grown more used to leading small group, well, it's familiar. 
we must not forget that we, in and of ourselves, are weak. Aside from Jesus, we are weak, but with him, you notice, strong, strengthened, and being strengthened. And sometimes we have a great sense of our weakness. The context of this letter, everyone is giving it in. It's too hard, this following Jesus, making him known, living for him above all other things. It's too hard. Not you, says Paul to Timothy. No, not you. No, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is a work of God. It's God who saves. It's God who equips. There was a song years ago, some of you might remember. I think I was at high school, so 20 years ago. Uh, I'm coming up, so you'd better get the party started. You remember this? I'm coming (laughs) So you better get the party started. And, you know, you're driving to a party singing this. There's nothing happening at the party until you arrive. Uh, As if to say, well, there's no party without me because life revolves around me. At least that's how I took the lyric. There can be a, a temptation to think that the world revolves around me. Don't you reckon? The world revolves around you. When I'm present, there's nothing really happening. But gospel ministry isn't about me. And it doesn't stop with me. You see that Paul reminds Timothy of this in verse 2 of chapter 2. He says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Yeah, there's Paul about to die, who entrusts the gospel to Timothy, a handing on of the the baton, if you like. And Paul's teaching is no secret teaching. There were many witnesses. And Timothy entrusts that same gospel to others reliable to teach. And so the process continues and continues. We notice there's four generations on view. Hey, Paul to Timothy... Timothy to reliable people, and and these people in turn, and and on again. I reckon it would be so good if we were a community that was really serious about this. Passing the gospel to the generations to come. Because Christian service, gospel ministry, it's not about me or you. It doesn't stop with me. Do you find at times, this is true of me, you're thinking so much about yourself that you've forgotten the influence that you're having on those around you, Uh, some kind of lacking in the self-awareness department. We thought a little bit about this from Matthew 18 last week. What message are we passing on to the teenagers and kids in our, in our local church family here? Or, or you parents, to your children? Jesus is worth following, but just as a matter of convenience? Oh, I hope that's not our message, because that isn't following Jesus. No, join us in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's the message, isn't it? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if the ordinary little Begara Presbyterian church over the years and through the generations, there be a multiplication of Christian ministry, not just here, but all over the world. And there's a name that comes to your mind, I suppose, someone you're functionally mentoring, someone who looks to you, someone you're handing the gospel onto one way or the other, maybe a distorted gospel. Perhaps there's a number of people. And so here's the rhetorical question, which you should never use in a sermon because you just sort of knock it away and don't reflect. But here's the question. Reflect on this. Are you living a life of integrity that says, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God to those looking to you? Anyway. Paul says to Timothy, this gospel ministry stuff, this Christian service, it's no walk in the park. Be strong in the grace. Hand it on to reliable people. Uh, When I was finishing high school, I I considered joining the army. I don't know if any of you have had a similar experience. Uh, I had the preliminary interview uh, because I liked dreaming about being an elite soldier. That's really why. Uh, I read some of the the special air service books, you know, the SAS, about the training and what they got up to on the the missions I dreamt about being the hero. But I also wanted to play rugby for Australia. Uh, I wanted to be the next George Gregan, that that scrum half, if you've ever heard of him, but only better. Uh, Except my grandfather was a farmer uh, and I wanted to be like him. He had these massive leather hands. Uh, and was strong. In my eyes, he could do absolutely anything. You notice those three metaphors that Paul gives? The soldier, the athlete, the farmer. What a privilege we don't have to choose. We get to be all three, the SAS, the wallaby, and like my grandfather. Only perhaps the hard part. See, See verse three and four. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. We focus on the mission, uh, wanting to please our loving father in heaven, our commanding officer. Or like an athlete, verse 5, we compete according to the rules. Personal godliness is vital, a life of integrity, doing life God's way, it's key. And we toil like that hard-working farmer who should be first to receive a share of the crops. And Paul just says in verse 7, we'll have a reflect, Tim. Reflect on what I'm saying. The Lord will give you insight. And it's good stuff to reflect on, isn't it? It's not a walk in the park, Christian service. If someone told you that, they were wrong. It's not a walk in the park, gospel ministry. Part of the legacy you observe that Paul uh, passes to Timothy really is pain, suffering, endurance and hardship. It's not a walk in the park. 
in and of ourselves. We cannot do it. We need to be being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We're to pass this gospel on down through the generations, focused like the soldier, the integrity of the athlete and the and hard working like that farmer. So that's the first point. The second will be quicker. Uh, some of you grew up watching The Simpsons, uh, that cartoon. Nods, some of you. Some of you have seen it. Uh, Homer Simpson on the show is a bit of a, is a, bit of a doofus. Um, and um, there's some kind of sporting event. I can't really remember the context, but the crowd is shouting, Homer, Homer, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one will. Uh, and I reckon it's interesting that at no point in this letter does Paul say to Timothy, you have to do this, mate. You have to carry the message of Jesus on. If you do not do it, no one will. He doesn't motivate Timothy by saying no one else is going to do it. There can be a temptation to just pressure people into doing things, can't there? And you think of our local church here, there's jobs to do. Uh, there's many leadership positions that, that need to be taken up o- over time. There's, there's people all over the, this place, Bagara and Bundaberg, who haven't yet heard the message of Jesus. I was speaking to a couple just two weeks ago. They'd never met a pastor. They'd never heard of Jesus. But we don't want to pressure people into doing things, do we? No. We're to be motivated by the gospel. And I think this is what Paul's saying in verse 18, uh, sorry, verse 8 to 13. Remember Jesus Christ, our second point. Let me read verse 8 to 10. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What's Paul do? He just, he just points him back to Jesus. Timothy, you just look back at Jesus. A, a risen Jesus, the one who is to come, descended from King David. Let's remember what we're on about, says Paul. I might be chained up. Death is coming my way. But this message, it cannot be chained. Paul endures the pain for who the elect, we read, God's chosen people, that is those who hear the message when it's proclaimed and respond in repentance and faith. What I have in Jesus, says the Apostle Paul, it's so valuable, I'll suffer for it. I'll persevere in making Jesus known so that others might know this this great and wonderful salvation too. We always need motivation for sacrificial service, don't we? Our diggers serve our country with the hope of freedom. 
Some of us sacrificially serve the mortgage. We miss out now serving the mortgage motivated by it being paid off later, putting the feet up later on. With the gospel, motivation comes as we look at our sacrificial King Jesus. Now, when we don't feel motivated in his service, which, let's face it, it can happen, can't it? Well, there's a number of things we might do. But what, what's Paul clearly saying here? Reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done. Reflect on who you are in him and all that that means. The, the trustworthy saying in verse 11 to 13, if we died with him, we'll also live with him. That's wonderful, isn't it? If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we disown him, he'll disown us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, I reckon the emphasis there, at least more explicitly in verse 13, it's on God's faithfulness. We will waver, and we do from time to time, don't we? We'll muddle along and at times get it wrong, be low in motivation at times, but God is faithful, unlike us, in contrast to us. It's not a case of Timothy if you don't live out and proclaim the gospel, no one will. It's a case of God will continue his work in this world and he invites us to be involved. Now, I reckon that is remarkable that we have this loving God who doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. Yet he chooses to include us in his work. What a privilege. Two points, Christian service, gospel ministry, it's, it's not a walk in the park. And remember Jesus. Uh, John Stott's summary of this section, he says, Blessing comes through pain, fruit through toil, life through death, and glory through suffering. It is the invariable law of Christian service. I just want to finish by saying I'm really encouraged by the commitment that many of you have to living for Jesus and making him known. It's a wonderful privilege to be a part of a church family with all of you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God sees fit to use this little church in all our ordinariness for the progress of that saving message of Jesus? Let's pray about that together. Our great God, we pray that you would forgive us for getting on on our own with at times little reference to you. Instead, Lord, please would you remind us what this life is about that we might come to you and enjoy you, living with you and for you, for your holy name's sake. 
Our Father, we recognise that in and of ourselves, we are ill-equipped for the tasks you have ahead for us. And so we pray that you would help us, recognising that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do those works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Great and mighty God, help us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us do it. Get into our Bibles. Uh, Get stuck into praying. Proclaim you to those around us. Heavenly Father, Thanks that we get to be the soldier, the athlete and the farmer. We pray that we might have the focus that those three have. And Lord, before we rush out and do, help us sit each day and remember Jesus, the Christ, the King who's not dead but risen and reigning, sitting at your right hand, the one who has descended from David, foretold all those years before. Help us live for you. Help us harden up, Lord, but only as we look to you and press on in our King Jesus. We pray these things in his great name. Amen.